3: To sing this way. Yeah. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you who don't know about the show, first time, well, welcome if this is the first time you're listening to the show. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's usually avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Like I said, the first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show we talk about politics, history, religion, nostalgia, old movies. And today we're going to be talking to Marty Golden, former state senator from Brooklyn, and one of the great character actors of the the 20th century, a little bit into the 21st century, Wilford Brimley, the manager from the Natural. So in any event, we've got you know I got a little bit of help today. First, we've got Nick. Nick, uh, tell us something about yourself. And Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Where did you go to law school?
4: I uh, went to law school in Massachusetts, uh, Western New England University. Um, I had wanted to stay in New York, but they gave me a nice scholarship, so I ended up going to Massachusetts for a couple of years, and I came back to New York City, of course. Bay Ridge was where I'm from. And I grew up in a place called Jordan. I went to a Catholic school called... College de La Salle. It's a French La Sallean Catholic school. And uh I know you asked me that once before, and I think sometimes maybe the listeners wonder because a lot of people are surprised when we say Catholic school in the Middle East. Uh the family's background is Middle Eastern Christian, so um and this is something I never told you. I actually grew up Catholic and I went to Catholic school, but I was baptized Greek Orthodox. So oh, really. We get the best of both worlds. Okay.
3: <laughs> All right. So what's the question you have there?
4: So first question we have is from Joe. Joe's from Stan Island. And Joe is asking, will I lose any control over my property or assets if I create a trust?
3: That's a little bit of a difficult question to answer because we don't know what kind of trust you're going to create. If you create an irrevocable trust to protect those assets from nursing home bills. You don't really lose control, but at the same time, you're kind of like in partnership with your children. And I assuming that if you're thinking about an irrevocable trust, you have children, because very rarely do we do an irrevocable trust with uh, people other than your children, although you certainly can, nephew or niece or whatever. But the idea behind an irrevocable trust, it's kind of like a partnership. The parents can't sell the house without the children, and the children can't sell the house without the parents. <laughs> the reason you do that is to protect that house for medical bills. A house in an irrevocable trust is protected from medical bills immediately. So if there are any medical bills not covered by insurance, you can... Apply for medical assistance Medicaid to pay for community Medicaid or home care Medicaid, which pays for any medical bills not covered by insurance. And in New York, if you're over 65 or disabled, you put your assets in an irrevocable trust. One month, you can apply for home care or community Medicaid the next month. Home care Medicaid pays for home equipment, supplies, home attendance to keep your you or a family member you know out of a nursing home. And there are a lot of good programs in New York as far as home care Medicaid is concerned. That's an irrevocable trust. Now, irrevocable, even then, that's misleading because some people say, well, I do an irrevocable trust. I can't change it because it's irrevocable, right? No, an irrevocable trust in New York can be changed. We can change the trustees. We can change the beneficiaries. So if you have an irrevocable trust with your three children, you get in a fight with one of your children, you can leave it to the other two. You can change an irrevocable trust in New York. Your son's the trustee. You have a problem with your son. You know, you can fire your son and go with one of your other children. I can tell you right now from experience, if we do a 100 trusts, if we, let's say, get rid of one child out of a trust out of 100, that's a lot. If you got three kids, you're going to leave your house to three kids. If you have two kids, you're going to leave the house to two kids. If you have one child, what's the chance you're going to disinherit an only child? But you can do that in New York, and I can't stress that enough because too many people think that if I do an irrevocable trust, I can't change anything. Now, if you do a revocable trust, you will avoid probate, and the house will pass out tax-free to the kids, just like an irrevocable trust. But... You have full and complete control, but there's not as as much protection against medical bills, nursing home bills, whatever. And and the problem in today's world, if you go to a nursing home in New York City, the average cost of a nursing home in the entire city is about $15,000 a month, $500 a day. And in Manhattan, believe me it's more expensive than that. So if you want to protect your house from nursing home bills, we recommend ordinarily you go with an irrevocable trust. There's no one right answer for everybody, but if you want to come in and talk it over at Connors & Sullivan, you're more than welcome to do it. You know, now, each week, Kev McCullough, takes one of the questions that are emailed to us, and he asks it on behalf of his audience. And you can hear Kevin McCullough's show Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock on 970 The Answer. He has an extended hour from 4 to 6 on Wednesdays sharing the show with John Katsimatidis. And then he's also on nationally on WMCA The Mission Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock. So, Kevin, take it away.
2: Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week I promise you an actual solution. You know, an answer to a question that you have about estate care or elder law or, you know, a will or end of life care, all this stuff that you've got to have uh, in place. Michael Connors, a very good friend of this broadcast and someone who has been helping New Yorkers and people in the tri-state area with their issues in this regard for years. In fact, he's rated by his colleagues as one of the very best in the business. Uh, joins us to answer these questions. And Mike, Janet writes from, uh, well, I don't know where she's from, but she says, uh, Mr. Connors, my aunt lives in Bayside. She only only owned a house valued at $350,000, so we just deeded the house to my sister and I to save on estate taxes. That was the right thing to do, wasn't it? Question mark?
5: It was definitely not the right thing to
2: do. Oh, no, Janet.
5: Yeah. Now, I can't imagine that there's a house in Bayside only worth $350,000. So I, I don't think you can find a house less than a million dollars in Bayside. But in any event, there's no estate tax in New York under $5,740,000. There's no estate tax federally under $11,400,000. I mean, that's thanks to President Trump. Uh, and the, the problem is, I assume the aunt bought the house years ago, so e- even taking the 350 value, let's say if she paid thirty thousand dollars for the house thirty years ago, and they sell it for 350, uh, unless the sister lives in the house, they're going to have a capital gain of over three hundred thousand dollars, which Ouch. costs a hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Right. Um, which we didn't have to pay any tax if we put it in the trust and held it till after uh, the aunt dies. Oh no! Not only that, if something happens to one of them, they get sued, divorced. Um, You know, there could be a problem. The the, the divorcing spouse might say, I own part of the, the property in Bayside. And that happens because other states have different rules. New York inherited property is not subject to divorce. But let's say the sister lived in Massachusetts or something. They got crazy rules there, you know, about inherited property.
2: Well, I, if you're in Janet's position, friends, don't make the same mistake. In fact, call the office of Connors and Sullivan and get them started on your situation now so that you don't make that mistake. It's so easy to do. Here's the phone number, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, and then send more questions, because Mike loves to answer them. Ask Mike Connors at gmail.com, ask Mike Connors at gmail.com. He'll answer them right here on Calvin McCullough Radio and on his own broadcast, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock on on AM five seventy, the mission, and Sunday mornings at eleven on AM nine seventy, the answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin.
3: Thanks again, Kevin. Beth, you're you're next up. You're you're on deck. You're ready to come to the batter's circle. You're ready to to take a <laughs> swing.
6: I don't know. I guess so. How about a spring? This is about a springing and a durable power of attorney. Nancy from Bayside is a little bit confused, and she says, can you please tell me the difference between a springing and a durable power of attorney?
3: Again, that's a little confusing because a springing can be a durable power of attorney. Basically, a durable power of attorney, that's a power of attorney. God forbid somebody has a stroke or another disabling illness, the power of attorney is still effective. It's not revoked by your disabling illness. So that's the idea of a durable PAV attorney. It's durable. It's not revoked because you're mentally not able to do it. And in and, and, and the basis of elder law planning, we do a PAV attorney to act precisely if somebody has a stroke, they have a disabling illness, they're incompetent. Now, a springing PAV attorney, basically that's a PAV attorney that nobody can use the PAV attorney unless, and, and the language can be slightly different, But usually, unless a medical doctor has been treating you for the last few years and writes a statement that you cannot competently handle your own financial business affairs until that doctor writes the letter, they can't use the PAV attorney. could be a psychologist if you wanted to, could be a psychiatrist, or it could be the doctor who's treated you. But basically, the idea behind a springing PAV attorney, it doesn't spring into life until a medical professional puts in a statement, you are not able to handle your affairs in a capable manner. What a capable manner is, that's hard to say sometimes, but you're you're trusting your physician. And and the reason sometimes people do the springing power of attorney, maybe they trust their children or maybe they don't have children and a neighbor's going to use the power of attorney. And they put some kind of restriction, you know, and and like couples, if they're afraid maybe they're going to get divorced, they don't necessarily want the, the other member of the spouse to be able to use the power of attorney in case of divorce for leverage, so they can't use the PAV attorney unless a medical doctor, usually a medical doctor, puts in a statement that you're not able to handle your affairs in a capable manner. And, And I mean, I know it sounds confusing when you put titles to different names, and I always tell people, don't worry about a title. Read what you want to accomplish. And then we try to put it in writing. But a springing power of attorney does not come into effect. It springs into effect when a medical doctor says you're not able to handle your own affairs. Can we put other restrictions down there? Certainly. And, and if you have any questions about it, you can give us a call at Connors and Sullivan about that at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Well, Michael, you're third up in the, the order tonight. So
7: what's... All right. So this question is from Susan. Hi, Mike. What happens if someone objects to a will? That's a good question. And uh, if somebody objects to a will,
3: it goes to court and it it can end up in trial. You know, some people think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a will. Uh, You know, I've got 10 nephews and nieces. I'm going to leave everything to nine nephews and nieces. The 10th one, I haven't seen him in in 20 years. He's no good. He's not my will. So does he have a right to object to my will? Yes. Anybody who's your next of kin by law is entitled to file objections to contest your will. If they do do file objections to contest your will, it's going to go through court. It could end up in trial. I mean, the court tries very hard to try to settle these cases. But you know what that means. When you go to a settlement conference, what's going to happen? There's going to be a referee, a law assistant, in surrogate's court. The job of that referee is to settle cases. What settles cases? Money. So the question's going to get asked to the people who are left something in the will. How much money are you willing to give to settle this case? That may not sound like it's an ideal world or anything else, but that's the way it works. Money settles cases. So the people that you want to name in your will are going to have to come up with some money to settle the case, to go to the objecting party. That's what happens. Most cases get settled. If it goes to trial, it's going to be very expensive, and you never know in some cases what a jury is going to say. And that's why cases are settled, because there's no certainty. People think, well, uh, it's very clear. I mean, why why would anybody object to my will? It's very simple. It's very clear. Everybody knows that I'm of sound mind. Well, when you're dead, not everybody knows everything. And people can make up stories. People can say it's a forgery. Somebody else signed your name. Get a handwriting expert to say anything. Sometimes you can get some psychiatrist. You pay a psychiatrist enough. They can go over your medical records and say, you know, you're not mentally competent. Now, I know some of the courts, they don't like to have a psychiatrist testify who signed or the, the patient, but I've seen it in some places where a psychiatrist who never saw the, the the patient in his or her lifetime comes in and testifies based on the medical records and they can you know they can confuse it. You know, there was not enough information in their medical records to determine whether they were competent or not. And sometimes that can put a seat of thought in the jury's mind. And you never know how a jury's going to react to testimony. So for the most part, you don't want to be in a position where somebody's going to contest your will. You can avoid Somebody contesting your will by not going through probate. You avoid probate when you pass away. There are no assets in your name alone when you pass away. If you have bank accounts, they're in trust for a joint. If you have, you know, U.S. savings bonds, Treasury bills, you can make them payable on death. Uh, If you have a brokerage account, you can make a T.O.D. transfer on death. Those designations will avoid probate. You have an IRA, you put a beneficiary on them. If you own real estate, it's not quite as easy to avoid probate, and that's why if you go to our seminars, we spend a lot of time talking about the real estate because that's a little bit harder to avoid probate. And the best way to avoid probate on real estate is through a trust agreement. It's parent's house, as long as the parents are alive. After the parents are gone, it goes to the next generation, usually tax-free by tax-free. As of January 1st, it's going to be $5,850,000 tax-free in New York. The federal tax, I think, as of January 1st, is going to be 11600000 So if you're below those numbers, it's going to be tax-free. So 90% of the time, it goes out tax-free. Nobody can contest your will if you don't have a will leaving assets in probate. It's a family contract. Don't get scared. And, you know, there are other things you can do. You can put your your son or daughter's name on the deed. And that may or may not avoid probate, but so many things can happen if you put your son or daughter's name on the deed. Believe me, the best way to do it is through a trust agreement. Now, we're going to take a short break. After the break, we're going to be talking to Marty Golden of Catholic Charities.
0: Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years.
3: I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all.
0: Call Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718 23 Eight sixty five hundred. that's 7182386500 or visit their website Connors and
8: We all know someone who's been touched by cancer it's the second leading cause of death and it took the life of my father John Wayne but even in his final days he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big sea, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. From our family to yours, I wish you a happy and healthy new year. Said the
9: night wind to the little land.
3: Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Do Ask the you Lawyer. You know, I live in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and for about 20 years I was represented by our next guest, first a city council member, then a state senator, and we welcome to the show Marty Golden.
1: How are you, Michael? Good to be on the line with you. Very good. Very good to be with you today and this great program. Marty, what
3: are you doing today?
1: I'm working over at Catholic Charities. I'm doing... Uh, work with development and uh, fundraising. I'm the vice president for that organization. And it's been an interesting life from a police officer to owning a Bay Ridge Manor and Catering Hall and uh, owning and uh, some other businesses, as well as being involved as a city council and state senator for the past 20 years. So I made this move over in March and February, rather, and it's been a great move uh, for me in getting to understand what Catholic Charities does uh, for Brooklyn and Queens. It's the largest diocese in the country, and people don't understand it. It's one of the biggest secrets out there. And uh, my role is to try to uh, develop programs and, uh, and fundraise and to get this little secret out into the communities.
3: I just want to focus on this because a lot of people, including a lot of my clients, get confused between Catholic Charities of New York and Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens. It's not the same
1: thing. Not at all. The New York Archdiocese is New York City, Staten Island and the Bronx, and then there's Brooklyn and Queens, uh, which is a separate diocese, and there are dioceses throughout the country. Uh, but this is the largest one in the country, and somewhere around uh, 47 uh, buildings with uh, housing somewhere around 4,700 uh, senior citizens, uh, 4,700 units, I should say, and I'm not even counting the number of people that live in those units. And uh, being able to have the ability uh, to, A, uh, bring those services to our seniors and to uh, low-income families and to our homeless veterans is very, very, very difficult. And as you know, in New York, the price of real estate and the homelessness that's going on is tremendous. So Catholic Charities is doing its part, uh, and doing it in a large way and trying to make sure that we take care of those seniors, those families, those veterans, and making sure that the money is available there for those institutions and for this 160 programs that this great organization does as well.
3: The CEO of Catholic Charities is really a remarkable man, Monsignor Lepinto.
1: I started off with Monsignor Pinto early this morning. Uh, he is—he can tell you the incomes of the buildings, the uh, uh, where we're losing money, where we're making some money, um, how many people live in each one of these units, each one of the programs. He can break it down as to which programs are, uh, need more attention, which programs need more funding, and uh, that is part of the role of this. Uh, Great institution is trying to find uh, those opportunities and find uh, those grants, uh, those dollars that are available to make uh, these dreams come true for these families, for these homeless vets, and of course for our seniors. There's 200,000 seniors looking for housing across the city of New York. Everywhere you go, there's a list of, of seniors, uh, 8,000, 10,000, uh, to try to get into each one of these buildings. So it, it is definitely a need in this great, great city for more housing. Uh, and the housing that we have, and we're building another three units next year uh, in 2020. Uh, but It's still not going to be enough to be able to uh, control and hopefully help some of the seniors in need that need them right away.
3: Again, you can't really even count all the programs. There's more than 160. So, yeah, we have the the housing for the seniors. We have the, the Veterans Center for Homeless Veterans out in Queens. What can you tell us about that program?
1: Well, that's new, and uh, it's opened uh, recently over the past couple of years. Uh, Actually, uh, it's got somewhere around 128 to 130 veterans that are living there today, uh, and the numbers are increasing. And uh, we're looking, uh, obviously, for that veteran that does need that housing. And, of course, we need more housing units. Uh, There were plenty of veterans looking for housing, but we need the units to be able to afford to put these seniors uh, assisted living uh, facilities, nursing facilities, uh, and of course, uh, regular housing, independent living for those veterans, for those families and for those seniors. So the veterans are on top priority here uh, here in Catholic charities.
3: To those of us involved, this is a stupid question, but some people on the outside, the services of Catholic charities are not limited to Catholics.
1: Not at all. You'd be amazed to find out how many people in this uh, this great, great organization uh, come. uh, I think there's like 60 languages spoken. Uh, There are different uh, uh, religions, uh, different countries, uh, different ethnic groups that are living and coming into Catholic charities on a regular basis. We have a number of uh, food pantries that are set up throughout the city. Uh, we have a number of sites where we take care of the, those that are addicted Uh, uh, to drugs and alcohol. Uh, We have a number of sites out there that are dealing uh, with uh, uh, seniors, again, senior centers, uh, so that we can get that loneliness uh, that sets into a senior uh, when they're left on their own and they don't have opportunities to get out there. And isolation is one of the big killers. We don't want that to happen. So those are just some of the programs. We We start from zero up to death. Uh, we start with Head Start programs, uh, uh, you name it. We take care of those children from the day they're born all the way through, if need be, uh, to the day that uh, they become a senior and unfortunately uh, go home to their dear Lord. Uh, but uh, we work with every ethnic group in this great city, state, and country.
3: Now, I just want to mention one thing. You're Your predecessor was John Potvin, and he should be in our prayers. I understand he has some complications.
1: John Potvin is uh, a great man. Obviously, for those uh, on the air, he was a great hockey player. I can't say what they would say in the stands. uh, but uh, New York Rangers uh, stands. New York, not, not New York. And, understands. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. The Islanders are uh, his brother and the uh, good Ledecky uh, who own and uh, have been in contact with uh, uh, John Poffin and Sholazar Senior as of this past weekend. Uh, John Poffin needed a liver uh, here about a year ago and was actually told that he's not going to get one. Uh, and uh, thanks to the owner of the Islanders and the Um, and John Papon's brother, they were able to get him down to um, Florida and get a liver transplant back in, I would say it was about uh, April, somewhere in that category, maybe even earlier. Uh, Since then, he started to recover greatly. Uh, He got pneumonia in uh, probably August and uh, he has a pacemaker, uh, and the pacemaker hasn't been working right, and uh, they brought him into the hospital on the past two weeks, and they fixed the condition with the uh, with the pacemaker, but uh, they found out they needed a kidney transplant as well. So uh, this guy has had uh, nine lives, but they've been tough nine lives over the past two years. Uh, God bless him. Uh, I hope everybody keeps him. Some- and his, his prayers uh, right now they uh uh he is uh, in a ICU unit in uh Cleveland Institute in Florida uh recovering and uh from his illnesses and of course uh waiting and praying for a kidney transplant so it's been an, a very tough call a tough go for this man and his family
3: yeah we got to keep we we got to keep John and his family in our prayers uh, you know he, he did a great job. you, you got to respect the guy. He was just a great hockey player, and he had a great career after hockey.
1: Well, you got to remember, the, the shoes that I'm filling right now are John Paffin's. Pa, John Poffin was doing the very job that I am doing today uh, as fundraising and development. Uh, so when he got sick, uh, it was uh, a setback for uh, not only him and his family, but a setback for Catholic Charities. Uh, so I was— uh, uh, trying to fill those shoes. I believe that they are difficult shoes to fill. He was uh, well-liked uh, and uh, is well-liked and uh, is a good man. And uh, like I said, we got to keep him in prayers, like you're saying, and uh, hopefully they get through this battle.
3: All right. Now, getting back to Catholic Charities, I'm going to ask you two questions. One, if you need help from Catholic Charities, where do you go?
1: Well, if there is need for help, you can call uh, our numbers here, uh, and uh, I'll even give my own personal number here is uh, uh, 718-722-6024, but 191 Gerolomon Street is the uh, headquarters for both uh, Monsignor Lepinto and uh, Father Keating, who are the uh, uh, CEO and COO of this great organization, and uh, we will make sure that we get uh, the information out to those that need it Uh, we will make sure that uh, if assistance is needed and we can't provide it we will find a place to get them that information and that help and we will continue to work with them as much as we can and making sure that their quality of life is a good quality of life Uh, but that's what I would suggest Uh, if anybody needs give me a call and we'll make sure that uh, we take care of those needs
3: Okay, at, at the same time again, if somebody wants to volunteer for Catholic charities or make a charitable donation, how do they do that?
1: They can, uh, A, make a checkout to, or uh, I'll tell you what you can do. There, uh, you can do martin.golden at ccbq.org, and uh, that is my email. And uh, we will make sure that that gets distributed to the right uh, organization within our within our group and that the help is provided for that individual. If that person wants to donate, uh, they can also uh, mail, uh, if they wish, uh, to the uh, Catholic Charities Brooklyn and Queens at 191 Jerusalem Street, and they can put down there Monsignor Pinto, his name, or my name, whichever, and we'll make sure that uh, he gets the uh Check and uh, he makes sure, or the uh, uh, gratuity. Some people give uh, different types of giving. Giving is needed uh, for Catholic charities, whether it's a stock portfolio or whether people are making up their wills and they want to leave money to Catholic charities. Uh, that is something that is uh, we're in desperate need of, and hopefully that will happen in the future. But that's 191 Jeroliman Street, uh, Brooklyn, New York, 11201. And uh, my telephone number, again, here is 718-722-6024. And, uh, again, morton.golden at ccbq.org. Or you can do www.ccbq.org if they wish you'd do it that way.
3: And, listen, I know, you know, obviously everybody would like large contributions, but no contribution is too small.
1: You got five dollars is uh is five dollars and it still helps to uh purchase and to buy uh stuff that is needed for whether it be families, whether it be a homeless person, whether it be our seniors, our veterans, our homeless families. Uh, we're there uh, to take uh, uh, from the smallest donation to the largest donation. And uh, please, uh, if you're listening uh, and you're out there and you're in a position to help Catholic Charities, please do because they do an outstanding job. Like I said, 4,700 units of housing. Uh, that is just Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, that's not including the programs for the those that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. For those uh, that uh, have young children that need Head Start programs and schooling, uh, we're in the schools. We're doing STEAM and STEM programs for our kids. Uh, we have a great, great, great uh, uh, I would say, um, balance here in this great organization and being able to be family centrist, and also dealing with those that are not in that position, those that are alone, those that are our seniors, those that are family members that are out there that need help. We're there to help them.
3: Remember, this is the season, the time for giving. Not that you can't give all year round, but remember Christ and Christmas. Remember the work of Catholic Charities.
1: I got to tell you, Michael, it is something that uh, a lot of people are unaware of is the great work that this organization does. Uh, and it does need uh, financial help. And believe me, we do get city, state, and federal funding. We do a number of fundraisers, and uh, we have a number of people giving us uh, money and contributions. But let me tell you, it is far uh, uh, the needs far exceed uh, the intake of dollars coming into our organization. So where they can do that would be really helping uh, our seniors, our kids, our families, and really doing something uh, that they can be proud of.
3: Marty Golden, thank you for doing God's work in this world.
1: Michael, thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Merry Christmas.
3: Merry Christmas. Thanks again to Marty Golden for taking time to tell us about the work of Catholic Charities. And and, and I really can't say this enough. Catholic Charity does a great job on a lot of different levels. Housing for the seniors, care for the seniors, homeless veterans. They have a, a center to take care of homeless veterans. They do mental health clinics. Somebody couldn't even enumerate all the different programs run by Catholic charities among Brooklyn and Queens. And I just want to make a distinction: we're talking about Catholic charities of Brooklyn and Queens. Catholic charities of New York City, Manhattan—they do a great job, but it is a different organization. Some of you may say, "Where did I hear Marty Golden's name before?" Well, he used to be the city councilman and state senator for this part of uh, Brooklyn. For you know, and I forever. mean, back
7: when he was—he was here. That we couldn't have asked for a better public servant. Um, that was after being a New York City policeman. And I just can't say I'm surprised that he's found yet another way to help the community as best he can with Catholic charities. So. Yeah.
3: so thanks again to Marty Golden for all the service he's done in the past and all the service he's doing for us now. Now, our next guest, a lot of you know I really love old westerns and character actors. We've got on, in my mind, the one, one of the best, if not the best character actor of the, the 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, there were a lot of great character actors in in Hollywood in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And and those great personalities kind of died out from from the screen. But Wilfred Brimley, our next guest, really was was one, one of the most entertaining character actors that
7: I can remember from that part. Now, I know Michael, you you like The Thing. Absolutely. I'm a big John Carpenter fan, and so of course, Wilfred Brimley in The Thing is one of the pieces that puts that movie together. It's one of my favorite horror movies, but uh You and Mr. Brimley seem to prefer some of the older style stuff. That's a matter of taste, but... he's a character and he's got his opinion. Yep.
3: You know, he's a character actor on more than one level. He's an actor and he's a character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I really enjoyed some of his... I I also like, you know, some of the the westerns that he did with Turner,
7: Turner, Mm -hmm.
3: you know, with uh, Tom Selleck and... Oh, absolutely.
7: Absolutely. You know, it doesn't have to be the biggest production or anything, but sometimes just making good entertainment is what people want to do and what people do very well.
3: You know, and also I remember The Natural where he played the baseball manager. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and Cocoon, that's another big hit with him. Yeah. So I didn't know this until we prepared for the interview, but he was a an extra on True Grit mm-hmm. with John Wayne and Robert Duvall, and he became friends with Robert Duvall, and Robert Duvall eventually got him into to acting. And Robert Duvall was also in The, uh, in the Natural along with, right. of course, Robert Redford and Glenn Close and and a lot of the other people. So Darren McGavin was in that,
6: yeah. <laughs> you know, the natural, you know. Yep. So
3: the reason we like Darren McGavin is because of what what was that TV series? Kolchak, Kolchak, the Night, Stalker. The Night Stalker. Yeah, it's one of the classic TV series. that never was a hit, but still entertaining, still great, yeah. still great. All right, so we're going to go back. We're going to be talking to Wilfred Brimley, talking about his acting career and.
10: with me right now i'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family make the call now 888-943-2646 or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash f once again call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement
0: frank Melia, nmls number 62591 all loans provided by Quantic Bank and MLS number 403503.
8: Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Welcome to the
3: Connors oh, Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. I'm a big fan of old movies, and you know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, there were so many great character actors around Hollywood. And, and later on, there didn't seem to be many as quite quite as many personalities. But we're very pl- privileged to have on one of the great personalities in cinema, Wilfred Brimley. How you doing, sir?
9: Very well, thank you.
3: The obvious question: Before you were an actor, what kind of jobs did you have?
9: Many, many. Uh... I was a bartender. I was a horseshoer. I was a racehorse trainer. Uh, several.
3: How'd you get into acting and into Hollywood?
9: Well, uh, I started out as a, what they call an extra in uh, in films. Uh, I could get around a saddle horse pretty good, or a team of wagons. Uh, State I could drive teams, and and they were always looking for those kind of guys. So that's how I got in in the beginning.
3: I was looking on IMBD, and I saw that you were in True Grit. If I saw True Grit today, the John Wayne True Grit, how how would I spot you?
9: You would not spot me. Uh, I was uh, an extra. I did a little horseback work in there, and then uh, uh, I was just one of the one of the folks that were. I didn't. I had no scripted part in there. I was an extra.
3: But we can't see. Hey, that's him in the background there, in, in whatever scene.
9: Well, you might. There's a courtroom scene there where you might uh, see me. When you, when you work as an extra, it's, it's kind of one of your jobs is not be seen so you can be recognized. Uh, if, you, if all you do is show them a, a live, warm body, then they'll call you back tomorrow. But if they, if they see your face and it's recognizable... Well, obviously, they can't use you again.
3: Now, let me ask you something. That film was directed by Henry Hathaway, who's really one of the last of the great Hollywood directors. Did you have any interaction with him? What did you think of him?
9: Not, none whatsoever. <laughs> no,
3: I didn't even meet him. You didn't
9: even meet him? No.
3: Well, how, how'd you get from being an extra to being an actor?
9: Well, he quit making Westerns. <laughs> and uh, I, would have, I had a really good friend who who I I I still... Happened to think he's the best actor we have. And he encouraged me to throw my hat in the ring and try it. Robert Duvall, my friend.
3: Yes, who was in True Grit and did have
9: a very important part. Yeah.
3: You know, how does the conversation go? How does he get you into acting?
9: Well, he just suggested that I try it. And uh, we had conversations. I, I, You know, I would say, what do I have to do? And he would say, just do it. Don't worry about it. all of the- wherewithal just do it the hard part about being an actor is not doing the work it's getting a job i've heard that before
3: now did you take any training as an actor did you go to an acting school
9: no i didn't uh, maybe i should have i don't know no that's but why I, I didn't know
3: that's why you have a unique personality you weren't trained in an acting school you were yourself
9: well yeah
3: Obviously you're in some notable films including one of the great baseball movies of all time The Natural and you played the manager.
9: Are you a baseball fan? Yes I did. Yes I am.
3: You know how did you get into the part and what was the part? Tell the, the audience what was the part. Who did you play?
9: Well, I was Pop Fisher, the manager of the New York Knights and uh the way I uh the way I wound up doing that is I uh, I had an agent, you know, who's submitted me to that company for for that part and i interviewed the director and and we got along okay and and they hired me (laughs) but you're the most memorable guy in
3: that movie and there are a lot of great actors in that including your buddy robert duvall and robert redford and darren mcgavin and richard farnsworth i always appreciated his performances
9: well he he was he was my best friend in life uh and we had a lot of fun fun doing that movie
3: now, was Richard Farnsworth in True Grit?
9: Uh, no. But he
3: used to do a lot of stunt work or whatever, and before he became an actor.
9: Yeah, yeah, he he was a he was a triple A stuntman. He he started out in 1937, doubling oh, wow. uh, Gary Cooper and Bogey. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he was a special guy. No, there's no question.
3: He had a great screen presence, as obviously you do. Now, let me ask you something. The thing. I, I
9: read something yeah. that
3: you weren't crazy about the movie, but everything you read's not true, obviously.
9: Crazy about it? No, I I thought it was uh, okay. You know, I, I I tell you, I'm not a big fan of uh, special effects. I, I, I'm not a I'm not a real big fan of of the creation of all oh, those scary dogs and slimy. Uh, the old days, the, the audience used to create that for themselves in their own mind, and, and uh, it, was a, it was a lot better as far as I'm concerned.
3: All right, let me ask you, what's the favorite film that you were associated with?
9: Oh, you know, I, I, I did a lot of films, and uh, the one that I enjoy thinking, thinking about the most was that little movie, that we all got together by Bob Duval and Glenn Close and Freddie Forrest and myself and it's called The Stone Boy and it's uh, it a pretty good film, really. Then I did another one with a, a guy that's a brilliant actor, Levon Helm. Uh, we did one called End of the Line about a railroad yard. Now, you're still doing work now? I had, it looks like it from IMBD. Uh, no, I don't. I don't, uh, I'm getting old and I don't get around real good. uh, It'd be hard for somebody to hire me to, and, and, and in fairness to them, I I have to tell them I don't get around very good.
3: One of the things I enjoyed your performances in some of those TV Westerns with Tom Selleck, TNT, I mean, they, they obviously wasn't great cinema, but they were good entertaining films. Why do you think the Western died out and do you miss it?
9: Well, it costs a lot of money to make them and, uh, the people that, that made them and were so good at it, they're all gone. It's a, it's a different bunch that runs the film business now. And uh, clearly their interests are not along those lines.
3: You mean it's more expensive to make a Western and see 10 cars blow up?
9: Yeah. Really? Yeah, sure. You got all the clothes, All the, you got to go to a certain place where the there's no telephone wire. You gotta, it's a big deal. And if it's a good one, there's a lot of folks in it.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I learned some because I would have thought a Western was relatively cheap to make compared to all these films with
9: special effects and things like that. Oh, well, now, uh, those, those uh, movies like uh, the Titanic and those monster uh, epic, uh, yeah, they, 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 they'll break the bank. But day-to-day uh, movie, Westerns up there in cost.
3: Now, of course, I think everybody remembers when you were the spokesman for the Diabetes Association. Do you have any comments about that? You've been suffering from the disease for a long time, I understand.
9: Well, I don't suffer from it. I take
3: care of it, and it's not a problem. So what would you advise people to do? That How do you take care of it?
9: Check your blood sugar as often as you can and see a good doctor. Okay. Do you ever get any fan mail right now? You know, we do. My wife, uh, she's one in a million she sits down and answers every letter, and it's, it's, it's amazing.
3: I would assume you still get a lot of fan mail because talking to other people, again, you were one of the you know most recognizable actors of, of the present time. Now I understand you also released a jazz album a few years back.
9: Yeah, I got several of them. Music is an important part of my life, so so I, I and I recorded music primarily for my grandchildren so that they could hear some songs rather than noise. <laughs> well i assume though i assume
3: those albums are available for sale uh,
9: i don't know where you'd buy one of them uh i really <laughs> don't uh for a while, the first one i did uh i was hired to do it by the hallmark company and they produced the album and for a while it was it was for sale it did pretty well and subsequent to that i I'd put together a bunch of songs and then take a group into the studio, and so we have, uh, I think, uh, altogether five, maybe only four albums. But it's pretty good music. Never mind, I'm not a singer; I don't pretend to be, but I I can carry a tune and remember the words. And uh, I wanted my grandkids to hear hear those songs.
3: Now, if you asked your grandkids, or if you told your grandkids one film to to watch where you performed, what would it be, and
9: why? Well, it'd probably be the Stone Boy.
3: The Stone Boy?
9: Uh, yeah, because it was it was very very well written, and uh, the people in it that uh, made it were dedicated to it, and it's uh. A very poignant uh, story that's uh, timeless. It's uh, it could be today or yesterday or day after tomorrow. It, it's what it's like. It's a story of a family uh, trying to adjust to a tragedy in the family, and how they succeed and fail and. You know, life goes on. Who
3: did you play in that film?
9: What was the character? I played the grandfather. I played the grandfather to the stone boy, to the young man in question.
3: Wilford Brimley, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our audience.
9: Well, thanks for the call, pal.
6: I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors &
0: Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com.
2: When a desperate parent calls YCS seeking help for their child with special needs we are there to answer the call. Our staff provides compassionate care to children affected by trauma, autism, or developmental disabilities. Can you help us provide the services needed to keep families together? Find out how you, your company, or organization can volunteer. Learn more at YCS.org.
8: I'm dreaming of a white Christmas.
3: Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. We're now accompanied by my wife, Beth.
6: Hi, everybody.
3: And Michael is still here. Yep, still with you. You know, thanks again to Wilford Brimley. I, I know he's not used to doing interviews, but we really enjoyed the interview with him. And again, you know, Beth used to talk, you know, like back in the in the studio days of Hollywood, there used to be some great character actors There were always character actors in almost every film. And that really is not there anymore. And Wilford Brimley, I think, was one of the last of the... The great Last character of the lot.
6: You, well, know. you know, we we we've recently, fairly recently, um, been looking at YouTube, and you get these. Uh, I've been looking at all these movies from the '30s, and they're wonderful to watch. Not because of the plot, really, but because of the acting. It's 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 so much fun to watch all these people. But the wonderful character character actors, and it unfortunately for me, it's oh I recognize that face, but what's his name? What's her name? And they make they make these stories come alive. And no, you don't you don't have that today.
3: No, and like I said, again, I'm I'm very happy we, we got to interview Wilfred Brimley because he was one of those character actors who stood out. Of course, one of the things surprising is how. much older he looked on screen than he was in person because you know like somebody might say is he still alive because he looked like an old man in the natural 30 years ago
6: (laughs) a lot of those character actors did
3: All right, and again, we have to thank Marty Golden for all the work that he's doing with with Catholic Charities. And here, it's it's the Christmas time of season. If you're thinking about a charity, you want to leave something, you want an end-of-year deduction, you know, you could use some deductions off your income. Think about Catholic Charities. Again, Marty Golden gave you the the phone number where you can call. You can always give us our office a call, and we'll put you in somebody in, in touch with Catholic Charities. But Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens, they do an awful lot of good work, again, for homeless veterans, for senior citizens, for people who are mentally ill, they go out there and they, they do the work. And I mean, you know, you can count on government to do nothing, but Catholic charities, they do God's work in the neighborhoods. If you're in trouble, you can count on Catholic charities helping out.
7: And it really can't be stated enough how well-run Catholic charities of Brooklyn and Queens are, whether it's Marty going out there or Monsignor Lepinto, who just has a mind for numbers, as anyone will tell you, that's extraordinary. Um, Father Keating. Across the board, everyone there is competent, and they have their hearts in the right place, and they're out to do the best for these communities in Brooklyn and Queens. And Catholic Charities is run
3: like a business. Yes, they have a heart. Maybe they're not worth some of their programs. They know they're going to take a loss on because it's doing the right thing. But they still try to get the most out of the dollar to get it into the client If you call the client, the person who needs the services, their mindset is to get the most out of the dollar to help as many people as possible. Nobody's making a fortune working for Catholic charities. They're doing it out of love for the community love of god so again if you're thinking about a charity you want to think about a charity to make a gift end of year or even beginning of next year think about catholic charities if you want any information you get on their website and you can always give it office a call well i think mr kincaid there is telling us it's time to go home listen oh, merry goodness. christmas to all we'll
6: merry christmas we we'll see you christmas.
3: next week at the same time
6: bye-bye
0: Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of
3: our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There's no one. St-
0: The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.